0: Welcome to Inconvenience, an international podcast where we talk about what moves
1: or changes the world today. This is Ale and this is Annie. Thank you for tuning in.
0: So welcome back to another episode. Today we'll be joined by a great guest and we are really excited about it.
1: Last month on May 17th, Uh, was the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia. First observed in 2004, the day was designed to focus on attention on the violence and discrimination experienced by lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex people, and all other people with diverse sexual orientations, gender identities, or expressions, and sex characteristics. The UN Secretary General issued a statement in support
0: of May 17th, noticing that this year's observation comes at a time of great challenges. Antonio Guterres said, among the many severe impact of COVID-19 pandemic, is the increased vulnerability of LGBTQ+ plus people already facing bias attacks and murder simply for who they are or whom they love many LGBTQ+ plus people are ex- experiencing heightened stigma as a res- result of this virus as well as a new obstacle when seeking healthcare
1: and as an example of that there comes one from my motherland Poland here as in many, many countries, the borders uh, were shut down. The one condition uh, on which you can cross the border is, for example, if you are a foreigner and you are married to the Polish citizen. So then in this case, you can still cross the border, even though obviously there is the lockdown due to coronavirus. But the problem is that in Poland, LGBTQ couples, they can't marry they can't even have the partnership union here it's not provided by law and therefore that's one already act of discrimination that they are facing in addition to many many more in different countries
0: they said that like homosexuality is like the the reason for COVID 19 um and that it's like a punishment of God that people who have homosexuality, for example, when they get COVID. So it's, there are really um,
1: weird and harmful mm-hmm. theories um, that mm-hmm. are going around. ILGA Europe has been creating their rainbow map and index since 2009, using it to illustrate the legal and policy situation of LGBTI people in Europe. The Rainbow Map and Index ranks 49 European countries on their respective legal and policy practice for LGBTI people from the scale from zero to 100%. In order to create the country's ranking, ILGA Europe examines the laws and policies in 49 countries using a set of 69 criteria. And they are divided between six thematic categories. Equality and non discrimination, family, hate crime and hate speech, legal gender recognition and bodily integrity, civil society space, and asylum. More information on the list of criteria and their weight on the total score can be found at rainbow-Europe that arc. if you are interested in that. So
0: we're going to present you like the key findings of the Rainbow Map 2020. And the first a point is that there has been no positive change in 49% of the countries.
1: For the second year in a row, countries are moving backwards on the rainbow index as existing protections are disappearing.
0: Trans rights are where most of the current movement in terms of, of LGBTQ equality uh, is happening for better or for worse.
1: Other forward movement, although on a smaller scale, is in the inclusion of equality measures protecting intersex people against discrimination.
0: LGBTQ plus human rights defenders increasingly are at risk, authorities taking active uh, measures to undermine civil society associations and attempts to ban public events.
1: For the fifth year in a row, Malta continues to occupy the number one spot on the Rainbow Europe map with a score of 89%. And Belgium and Luxembourg come in second place for the third time with a score of 73%. The three
0: countries out at the other end of the Rainbow Europe scale are Azerbaijan with 2%, Turkey with 4% and Armenia with 8%. Turkey's score has been decreasing since 2015 due to restriction on freedom of assembly and association. And Azerbaijan has also lost
1: points over the past two years due to irregulations on legal gender recognition. Hungary is the country with the most dramatic drop in its score, losing 8.5% points in relation to the suspended procedures for legal gender recognition and the lack of proper state protection at public events. Poland has also dropped by almost 2%, and it's now the lowest EU country on the map, which is so sad. Another important deduction happened with France losing almost. 7% points due to the expiration of the government's action plan.
0: So today we will talk about this topic with Mina Tolu, who is a Maltese activist. They champion LGBTQ plus causes and they are also a green activist who has campaigned to raise awareness of transgender rights and gender equality in Europe. They ran for the 2019 uh, European Parliament election in Malta and they are also the co-spokesperson of Federation of Young European Greens. I've met them last summer at the summit of FYG in Istanbul and was really impressed by their knowledge and engagement. So we are pretty excited to have them on the show for today.
1: So welcome, Mina. Thank you for joining us today. How are you and how is life currently in Malta due to the COVID-19 pandemic situation?
2: Well, first of all, thanks for the invitation. It's really exciting to be on your podcast. Um, Malta, at the moment, due to COVID-19, they they're actually started to relax a lot of the measures that were put in place to flatten the curve. And so at the moment, it's been one week since restaurants opened, at least the outdoor areas of restaurants have opened. I know some offices have started to go back into, the, into their office spaces and people have stopped working um, from their homes. Now it's mandatory for everyone to wear the mask when they go into the stores and all of these measures that we are also seeing in other places. And it seems like mm-hmm. next week they will open a bit more And they are planning from July to open the airport. So that's on a very like basic level of things. I'm one of the people who thinks perhaps we're relaxing the measures a bit too soon. And so I'm a bit concerned about what will happen. And so at the moment I'm being still very cautious and still uh, as much as possible remaining myself inside and with just my flatmates and only um, not meeting any, any other people. And I think that I'm lucky that I'm able to do this because at the moment I'm just working on my dissertation. So there's no need for me to leave the house to go to work and there's no need for me to, to go anywhere except for the supermarket. So for me, this is, I'm, I, I realize I'm quite lucky that I am able to do this.
0: In the introduction, we already talked about that you are an activist for transgender rights and gender equality in Europe. Talking about the COVID-19 pandemic situation, the UN Secretary General marked the point that the LGBTQ uh, com- community is one of the groups that is especially suffering under the COVID-19 pandemic. So can you tell us maybe more about that and also what can we do or how is your activism now changing because of the COVID-19 pandemic?
2: To Look at it from a very broad point of view i think we need to understand really the intersections and the systemic inequalities that lead to many lgbt people being uh, from lower income groups or have or being unemployed or um, having difficulty accessing housing and health care and so there's all these these overlaps and issues that means that when a pandemic happens, the community as a whole can be seen as a group that becomes rather vulnerable because already in society, LGBTIQ community is amongst the vulnerable populations. And then of course this is this increases or not depending on a number of factors. So definitely I would say overall I would agree that because of already systemic inequalities, that exist in Europe, that LGBTIQ people would would have some struggles. And then there would be some things that are particular to the community that perhaps some COVID-19 measures might impact us differently. And so I will relate this to my personal experience. So there's, mm-hmm. in Malta a few months ago, they said, you can go out, but you can only be three people uh, from the same household. And so a lot of people would assume what a household looks like. And so they would assume uh, that a household looks like a very normative family of a man and a woman and maybe their kids. And particularly in Malta, we don't have a lot of young people living with flatmates. Um, A lot of young people are still living with their parents because of a number of difficulties in accessing affordable housing as young people and students. And so it's already weird to see perhaps flatmates hanging out together. And so I was with my with my partner and with our friend, and we live together. And so to to the outside world, we don't look like what a normative household is, right? And so in mm-hmm. fact, the police are you together? You shouldn't be meeting your friends right now. And I was like, Well, we live together. And so something like that made me realize that perhaps other non-normative families so to say other non-normative households might also be getting similar questions and then it might be further complicated by other other aspects of people's identities and so that is like something rather superficial and to me it was not such a bother but it can be it can be for many um really dangerous to have to confront the police about what their family is or what their household looks like so i mean that is such a small thing but it would not perhaps impact on other people it might not have had an impact in other places another thing might be access to to only essential health care and then this might put into limbo some trans people who are seeking trans health care who might have had to go through a number of processes to start trans specific health care and then this is all put to pause, for, for instance, they would not be able to access things. And while understanding, of course, the priorities in healthcare, there are ways that this can be managed that can allow for trans people to still have a quality of life and an understanding and, and some respect, uh, rather than stopping outright uh, some healthcare aspects um, and ensuring there is a kind of a and so again just i'm i'm very much based in malta right now i've worked on a european level but currently in malta and so what what happens with malta that it's an island uh, we really on uh, a small island we really rely on external from from the rest of europe for like imports also of medications and medicines and while this is not directly related to LGBT, I think it's really important to bring up as it relates to reproductive. They made a place an order for essential medications. This did not include some contraceptive pills and, and so on. So in fact, at the moment, there have been reports that the country is running out of the contraceptive pills. And so things like that just kind of bring to light what might be happening during a pandemic that creates actually some issues for for certain groups. And if reproductive health care and reproductive rights are not considered a priority, then then these would also suffer. Mm-hmm. But I think when we look towards Europe, the most worrying thing that happened was in Hungary with Article 33, which the Hungarian Parliament was pushing to to deny access to legal gender recognition mm-hmm. in the country. This this was a law that, that was Article 33 was part of a huge law that was being pushed as a kind of like an emergency bill uh, as a result of COVID-19 crisis. But in the same one, they bundled so many things. And part of this was a way to, to stop recognizing transgender people in the country. And I think this is extremely worrying. And so in this case, this makes me think about how COVID-19, because it's an emergency, because a pandemic is an emergency, this means that our governments are Uh, might be taking measures uh, more quickly or might be taking emergency measures which means that they don't have all the usual checks and balances or the usual process because you know you need to be as quick as possible Mm -hmm. and in the case of Hungary we saw how this results in actually more harm towards trans people yeah so I think these are just a few examples and Mm -hmm. some I guess a bit more superficial and some really worrying like what we see in Hungary.
1: I'm really all the time nodding my head to to what you say. We talked a lot already on the podcast with Annika about that, how governments in the world, but also like in Europe, how they are overusing, how they are abusing their power for the wrong side, for the wrongdoings, basically during this pandemic and how it's so easy for them. And in this case, uh, affecting those people who are already so much affected by other discriminating laws. On the other hand, when we looked at the ILGA ranking results, they showed that Malta is now for quite a long time, I think, the LGBTIQ friendliest country in Europe. We are wondering what are your thoughts about that and why do you think, uh, how is that from your perspective? Do you agree with that? And also, why do you think that's the reason?
2: I don't Mm -hmm. think that this uh, ranking necessarily, the Rainbow Europe ranking necessarily says which country is most LGBTI friendly, but which country has the legislation in place that perhaps makes it a safe place to Mm -hmm. legally exist as an LGBTQI person in there. So I think this distinction is really important because the map, of ILGA Europe really relates to policy and Mm -hmm. legislation and therefore can never really truly tell us what is happening on the ground. But ILGA Europe does have an annual review that they publish at the same time as they publish the map and it goes into a bit more detail some of the cases that are happening and that have been reported in the country that relate to the different areas in their map from uh, you know, they cover equality and non-discrimination, family, hate crime, hate speech, legal gender recognition and bodily integrity, civil society, space and asylum. And I think these areas, they have really developed over the past years and added more categories to really um, also reflect the, the diversity within the LGBTQI community and therefore to reflect a diversity of laws that are needed to protect all of us. When I look at the Maltese one, and if if you look at the Maltese one, that yes, we are at the top of the index, and we have 100% in a number of categories. So let's start there. So we have 100% in the category of family, hate crime and hate speech, legal gender recognition and bodily integrity, and civil society space. The reason for this is that in uh, when it comes to trans rights and intersex rights, in 2015, on April 1st, 2015, in fact, there was uh, a unanimous vote on the Gender Identity, Gender Expression and Sex Characteristics Act in the Maltese Parliament. And this act was groundbreaking, not only for Malta and not only for Europe, but really for the whole world, in that it was, first of all, banning the non-consensual surgeries on intersex people generally when they are cos- cosmetic surgeries and not necessary for a person's health in that it was recognizing a right to, to gender identity and that you can change your doc- documents as a trans person to reflect who you are without needing to undergo any medicalization procedures including psychopathologization and and so in this aspect since 2015 uh, malta is really at the forefront and a lot of other countries are looking to malta and looking to the law that we have to be inspired and to also change their own laws because in europe there are still some countries that force uh, that require medicalization of trans people in order to be recognized legally. And that there are also some countries that require sterilization of trans people in order to be recognized. And that includes also um, Finland and the Czech Republic, amongst others. Mm-hmm. So in that aspect, Malta is indeed at the, at the forefront. And this is fantastic. And when it comes to family, I mean, there's now, since 2000 recognition of all marriage we have equal marriage automatic co-parent recognition and joint adoption is fine and you know this is a number of things that that we didn't believe was possible before 2014 that is suddenly that is suddenly okay now when it comes to the areas where malta is not doing well asylum is one of them and Malta is not only not doing well in terms of the policy or measures they have to protect and to allow people who are seeking asylum on the basis of their uh, sex characteristics or based on people's sexual orientation, gender identity, or sex characteristics. It's that in the on the ground as well, Malta is doing really bad when it comes to asylum and for migrants and on refugee rights. And so, when we look back at COVID and we look at Asylum and refugee rights in general and migrant rights in general. At the moment, I want to highlight that there are three boats outside of Malta's waters that are hosting 350 migrants. And these boats are not built to host people as living quarters. They are, they are daytime cruise ships that normally would do like a day cruise around the island. Um, they are not made for people to live there, to sleep there, to eat there. Due to the COVID-19 and the strict uh, shutdown of borders, the Maltese government is using this as a convenient reason to not allow these 350 migrants to come into Malta. This is extremely worrying. And this has been happening for some time. And let's focus in on LGBTI rights, but then let us also understand that, you know, Malta's bad track record also on the case of Mm -hmm. asylum, that is also reflected in the laws that we see, that it's not being recognized in this Rainbow Europe Index. It's also just generally a really bad track record when it comes to asylum. But it's related to so many other things that are happening, of course, and you cannot just look at it out of context. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to highlight that due to COVID-19, this is creating kind of the convenient reasoning for the government to excuse themselves for hosting 350 people at sea.
0: You already mentioned like the massive difference between the European countries when it comes to the rights for LGBTQ people. How? Are you you and FYG working on that to get to better rights for the, for the LGBTQ community?
2: How can you do that on a European level? We have our own internal, our, our internal work where we mm-hmm. really, where we have our trainings for our member organizations mm-hmm. and uh, where we have been having trainings over the years on, for example, demasculization of politics, where it's mm-hmm. to encourage Uh, young women, but also trans people to be involved in politics and the importance of having uh, non-cis male voices in in politics. We also support our member organizations in various countries, their work in this area, and we speak out when we see issues like that are happening in Hungary. Um, We follow closely what happens in the European Parliament And we are really lucky, I think, that we have a number of young green MEPs now in the European Parliament for whom LGBT rights is also really important, who work on this really strongly within the LGBTI intergroup. (laughs) And so we are able to work closely with them also. Yeah, so we try to cover it also in in our work in, in, in general. We try to have it as part of, it's part of our political platform. It's kind of streamlined in what we do. I think queer, you know, yeah, I use that word intentionally, like queer politics also is a part of the green politics when it comes to FYG.
0: Maybe for a ending question, what do you think are now the main points in working for LGBTQ rights, transgender rights and, and also gender equality? Uh, in Europe. Can you tell us like maybe uh, briefly like the main points that you or that also with FYG you're working on?
2: There could be so much to say. (laughs) I think on, on one aspect, one area that we are truly committed to working on is reproductive rights and bodily integrity. And for us this means both campaigning so that trans people do not face forced sterilization. As I mentioned earlier, in countries like Finland and Czech Republic but also other countries and but reproductive rights and bodily integrity is also about being pro-choice we campaign for access to abortion across Europe and we know that this is not the case I think many people know that this is not the case in countries from Poland to Malta but is also problematic in so many other countries, like Italy has its problems, Romania has its problems, Croatia have their problems in accessing abortion as part of essential or necessary healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so for us, when we talk about reproductive rights, we really understand it in this holistic way that we're talking about everybody's bodies and whatever measures are in a country that are stopping from anyone having access to these rights, these really important fundamental rights, then we will fight against that. And then when it comes to also LGBTI rights, for us, it's also important the freedom of assembly and the right to protest and the rights to be on the streets and and as you are, as who you are. And uh, this is why we also support our members when they are when they're taking to the streets also as queer activists and calling out when things happen like in Hungary recently with the article 33 but when there's also violence against LGBTQI people maybe it's a very generic answer but it's very good it's very good (laughs) and
1: uh I mean the answer is very good and what you do is very good so thank you for doing that what you do because It's really, really important. Not only, as you're saying, like the fact that not only in Malta, but all the other countries that you keep the radar on all the other countries. It's so important and so crucial. And I think we need more of that. So thank you for this activism, like really from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for that. Thank you for explaining those things to us. It was very educating, very inspiring. Thank you for mentioning this part about asylum Seekers. To our listeners, we also recorded an episode. Episode number three of our podcast is all about asylum Seekers in times of coronavirus. So if you want to get more information on that, a little bit about what Mina just mentioned, you can go to that episode. So thank you so much, Mina, for sharing that with us.
2: Thank you. I will make sure also to listen to that episode
1: okay that's really cool
0: (laughs) so we're going to uh link your social media profiles and also the website of fyg in our episode description and also on our social media then people get in can get uh, in touch with you again also from me a big thank you for all your important engagement and i think it was also for us, really educating to have you on the show. So thank you so much, Mina.
2: Thank you very much. I think this is the first time I will be on a podcast.
0: Oh, wow. Awesome. Okay. Wow.
1: <laughs> we feel really honored then. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to our talk with Mina, and now there comes a question to you. So
0: we are wondering what do you know about the situation for the LGBTQ community in your country? And we're also super curious um, to hear about that, especially also when you come from outside of Europe, because we know we have some listeners who live, for example, in Brazil. So yeah,
1: drop shout us, out uh, to Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> you can
0: slide into our DM- DMs on Instagram or...
1: or write to our email at inconvenient at Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with your friends if you liked it. Thank you so much for listening and hear you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Inconvenient Podcast. Hear you next time.